0: Old Testament reading this morning is from Exodus chapter 1, verses 1 through 22. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his own household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The total number of people born to Jacob was 70. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died and all his brothers and that whole generation. But the Israelites were fruitful and prolific. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, or they will increase, and in the event of war, Join our enemies and fight against us, and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built supply cities, Pithom and Ramesses, for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread, so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites." The Egyptians became ruthless in imposing tasks on the Israelites and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in every kind of field labor. They were ruthless in all the tasks that they imposed on them. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Pua When you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a boy, kill him, but if it is a girl, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and allowed the boys to live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every boy that is born to the Hebrews you shall throw into the Nile, but you shall let every girl live. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our gospel reading is from Matthew chapter 2. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Now after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem, who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the word of the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who were seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ.
1: Would you pray with me? Loving God, would you draw near to us now? And as we consider your word and sit with your scriptures, would you enliven and envelop us today by your spirit? Would you ground us in your love and presence? Would you, Speak to us in ways that we could actually hear. Would you illumine our minds that we might see through eyes of faith? And would you renew us, remake us, so that we might become more like Jesus, more alive, more human, more free, in ways that delight you and bless the earth? We ask for you to bless our time now toward that end. In Jesus' name, amen. So several years ago, one Sunday afternoon, I was taking a nap on the couch in the living room and I was awakened to the prodding finger of my toddler daughter, then toddler daughter. And you know, I didn't open my eyes because I knew what she was up to, but then I I felt she climbed up on top of me. And she goes, I heard her say, wake up, wake up. Wake up, Elsa. To which I thought, wait, what? And so I opened my eyes and there, in my face is my pudgy little two-year-old daughter's toddler face, we're nose to nose. And she just goes, do you wanna build a snowman? (laughs) Now, if you don't know the movie Frozen, that story probably just sounds ridiculous. If you do know Frozen, you know this scene, right? Where the two young sisters are there. The, The main character Elsa is asleep. Her sister Anna climbs up and does the exact thing that my daughter did to me. Now, why am I telling that story? Because I think it's a nice toddler-sized picture of something incredibly significant that every single one of us does. Whether we realize it or not, we experience and make sense of and live out the stories of our own real lives through the stories that shape us. And my daughter was experiencing that Sunday afternoon through the script of Frozen. And of course, grownups do this too, right? Like Bonnie and I went through this phase a while back where we would watch Shark Tank. You ever watch that show? It's basically, you know, people who come up with, with an idea, they come and pitch it to these angel investors. And anyway, um, pretty soon after watching this show, and you just watch it. Oh man, that's cool. You know, the little gimmick that you can monetize and make a million bucks on the home shopping network. After a while of watching this show, every idea I would have would be like, ooh, there's my Shark Tank idea, right? I start to to live my life. I start to even live out of my own imagination through the script of this show that's all about entrepreneurs, right? I started to experience my own thoughts and ideas through the story of the so-called American dream, retold again and again through the stories of Shark Tank, which don't worry, we eventually got over that. But the point is that the stories that shape us most deeply, are the ones that get under our skin and take root in us so deeply that they almost become part of the raw material of our imaginations. They become part of the mental clay with which we form our understanding of things. And ultimately the stories we receive shape the stories we tell. They provide the framework inside of which we narrate the experiences of our lives and connect the dots of our own stories, which is one of the most foundational things that we do as human beings. Author Joan Didion speaks to this very powerfully. She writes, we tell ourselves stories in order to live. We interpret what we see Select the most workable of multiple, multiple choices, she writes. We live entirely by the imposition of a narrative line upon disparate images, by the ideas with which we have learned to freeze the shifting phantasmagoria, which is our actual experience. We tell ourselves stories in order to live, writes Joan Didion. Neuroscientist Antonio Damasio working in an entirely different field over at the University of Southern California. He says something remarkably similar about how fundamental storytelling is to our human experience. Consciousness, he says, begins when the brain gains the power of telling a story. Another researcher, Dan McAdams, who's a psychology professor at Northwestern, he's written a book about the, way, about the stories by which Americans live, and he puts it this way these stories we tell about ourselves and our lives don't just shape our personalities, they are our personalities. It's fascinating to consider that stories that we tell could be that foundational to who we are, that powerful for shaping how we think, how we respond to things, what we do. And if, as we've said before, the stories we receive shape the stories we tell, then the big question we need to be asking is, what are those stories that we are receiving and rehearsing as formative for our lives? If we as human beings are necessarily living, so to speak, under the influence of some compelling narrative, then which narrative will we turn to to give us the script? for how we understand, experience, and live into the real moments of our daily lives. For the people in the Old Testament era, the Exodus story was that story. The Exodus was the greatest, most significant redemptive event in the history of Israel. And it was the story by which the people of God came to understand who God is the one who brought them up out of the land of Egypt. It's the story by which they came to understand who they were, their identity as God's chosen. And it was the story by which they came to understand what they were to do, their vocation, which was to organize their life in the promised land around God's presence and God's law so that their life together would reflect God's desire and design for a flourishing life so that they would be a blessing To the world. In the Old Testament era, the Exodus story was the primary one through which God's people lived their lives. And in the New Testament, we even see Jesus take up the script of the Exodus story in his own earthly life. The Exodus story provides a backdrop for Jesus's own experience, which we see most clearly in the Gospel of Matthew, as we have already read this morning. Matthew actually tells the story of Jesus's life through the plot line of Israel's story, particularly through the plot line of the Exodus story. The Exodus is the one, it's the story Jesus receives as Israel's Messiah, and it's the story that he rehearses, he relives, he expands, and he even transforms as he lives out the story of his own life and narrates it and then invites others to join him. So this morning we're beginning our fall series on the book of Exodus, and what we want to consider together for the next season of these 12, 13 weeks or so Is what it looks like for us to allow this story, the Exodus story, as it is renewed and expanded in Christ, to become more deeply the story that forms us. Two things for us to consider this morning. First, to consider the Exodus story as a whole and then begin to think about it as our story. And then, secondly, to look at this particular text just for a little bit and begin to think about Egypt, the place of Israel's enslavement, but maybe also if we're living by the story, thinking about our own Egypt's as the places of our enslavement. So Exodus as our story. So we're calling this summer sermon series living the story of God's rescue and recreation And kind of each part of that title is significant. We're talking about living the story. So we're not just trying to get something into our minds. We're trying to actually inhabit a narrative, to be renewed inside of it, to take it to our own lives as our story. But then the story is one of rescue and recreation. So this book actually divides fairly nicely into two halves with the first half being, if we may, just call it a rescue story, a dramatic one, where God rescues Israel from slavery in Egypt through his servant Moses and through all kinds of like high-flying, major, high-drama stuff. It's like a Steven Spielberg movie, right? You got locusts and frogs and whatnot. We're gonna see all kinds of crazy stuff. We're gonna go through the sea, highlight reel kind of stuff. And then the second half of the book also has its moments of of high drama, but it's largely about the recreation of a people, the restoration of Israel at Sinai, where God gives the people of Israel a new identity as a nation and a new way of life in the law. And both of these things flow out out of an even deeper recreation toward which the whole book builds, which is the restoration of God's presence among his people in the last chapter. We'll see the cloud of God's presence fill the tent. So Exodus, it's not ultimately a story of exile. It's not ultimately a story of enslavement, but it is ultimately a story of rescue and recreation. And one of the great challenges and opportunities I think that's before us this fall, as we try to take on this story together, is for us to begin to look at the ways that we have been living out of a story of exile. Look at the ways that we have been living out of a story of enslavement. And then to look instead to this exodus story for a better script. So think about this with me. What, is it, what does it sound like, feel like, when we live out of a narrative of exile? Exile stories go something like this. The story of my life is a story of abandonment. The story of my life is fundamentally a story about me missing out, of being excluded. I'm on the outside looking in at everyone else. As life happens to them, but it passes me by. No one hears me, no one sees me, no one appreciates me, no one reciprocates the friendship I extend, at least not to the degree that I do. I'm alone, I'm in exile. What about enslavement? What does it feel like? What does it sound like when we live out of a story of enslavement? It sounds like I'm stuck. I've traveled too far down the path of the bad choices I've made, or the harmful choices other people have made toward me. There's no real hope that things could be different. The story of my life is one in which I'm trapped and I can't get out. I'm trapped in a relationship, trapped in addiction, trapped in my body, trapped in my mind, trapped in my secret, trapped in my shame, trapped in the same old meaningless routine. Look, every one of us here to one degree or another lives out of these stories of exile and enslavement. Why? Because we really do experience these things people do abandon us. We do get left out. We do pull away from relationship. We do hurt one another. We do hide from one another. We do get caught in the confusing and often overwhelming tangled mess that is the result of things that we've done and things that have happened to us. Our experiences of exile and enslavement are real. And after a while, it becomes increasingly difficult to believe that these experiences do not define us. But here's the thing. God won't allow exile and enslavement to be the true and ultimate story for your life because he loves you too much for that and he's come for you in Jesus. And the Exodus story becomes your story as Jesus who's come to lead the new and greater Exodus becomes your living savior and Lord who leads you into a new and better story. So as we take on the Exodus story and try to try it on and try and put it on as a script, right? And try to actually like live into it, live through it into our real lives, One of the things we're doing is we're acknowledging that God is bigger than our circumstances and God's love wins. God's power wins. Your circumstances don't get to speak most truly about you. And it's an act of faith and hope to try on a better script that God gives to you as a gift and says, this is for you. See, the Exodus story is one of profound hope because it's a story of rescue and recreation that actually reaches down into the real deep, dark places of our lives, even down into the pit of Egypt. And it pulls back the curtain to show us that even there, even in your secret, even in your shame, even in your addiction, even in the, the toxic relationship, even in all the places where we're stuck or we're feeling most alone, God is there. And he's bigger, he's stronger, and he's good. Exodus is a story of God's behind the scenes faithfulness finally breaking out into the open to reveal what had been concealed for so long. That God is with you, God is for you, God has not forgotten or overlooked you. And the God who is with you and for you is more powerful than all the things that are against you, the things out there in the world and the things in here in your own mind and body and heart. And so the invitation for you and for me is to consider what it might look like to embark on an exodus journey out of Egypt with Jesus, out of exile, out of enslavement toward freedom. How might this story help you and me see Egypt for what it is and begin to turn and go with Jesus to a better land? Let's think about Egypt. The remainder of our time, I want us to think about Egypt because that's really what our text is actually about this morning, this text, right, that we just read Our text tells us that Egypt is the place where God's people are exiled and enslaved. They're exiled in the sense that they're living in a land where God's presence is not seen or felt, and they're enslaved in the most literal sense of having to live under the tyranny of unjust totalitarian rule. And the story of Israel's time in Egypt is one that goes from pretty good to not so bad to pretty bad and eventually to utter horror as the Egyptians begin to systematically murder Israelite children as a means for keeping their population to a manageable size and precluding any possibility for a successful revolt. Egypt becomes an unspeakably tragic place for the Israelites, a place of death. But it doesn't start that way. And what we see as the story begins is that the Exodus story is situated in a large story, one that goes all the way back to Genesis to where we see that Egypt is actually there, a place of God's provision for his people, where the Israelite Joseph earns the respect and trust of the Egyptian Pharaoh, who then allows Joseph to provide food and refuge for his family in Egypt during a time of famine. And the author here even uses creation language from Genesis to describe how Israel's time in Egypt started off. They were fruitful and they multiplied just as God intended from the very beginning. But then things took a turn for the worse. In verse 8, we read that after the Pharaoh died, a new Pharaoh came to power, one who didn't know Joseph and who didn't rule Egypt the way the old Pharaoh did. The new Pharaoh felt threatened by Israel's thriving and took measures to subvert it. And under his rule, Egypt shifted from being a place that nurtured and contributed to Israel's life to being a place that threatened to choke it out entirely. And so Egypt under this new ruler became a cursed place for the Israelites and a force that stood in direct opposition to God's purpose to bring about the flourishing of creation beginning with his people. And if we look carefully, we can probably see something similar in our own Egypts, right? The places where we experience the exile and the enslavement in our own lives. They didn't start out being what they are now. It wasn't like we looked over there and like, oh, look at that addictive substance. I wanna get trapped under its rule. Or I wonder what a toxic relationship's like. Let's try one. It's not how it starts. Or I think hiding in secret sounds nice. Maybe I'll just pull away from relationship for the next decade or two to see if isolation is really all it's cracked up to be. That's not how this starts, right? We end up in Egypt because we're enticed by its goodness and its beauty. We're not enticed by its corruption and destruction. And that's what makes Egypt so easy to end up in and so difficult to leave. What it offers us is something that taps into our deepest desires as human beings, our craving for good things like enjoyment and relationship and comfort and peace. And for most of us, the things that become Egypt's in our lives, they start out as places where we experience a taste of something that is truly good, love or pleasure or power, excitement. But Egypt becomes a trap. When it ceases to be a provisional way for us to experience God and His blessing, and then instead becomes a more permanent and ultimate way for us to seek life and happiness without God. Egypt becomes a trap when it becomes a destination rather than a waypoint on our journey. What do I mean? Well, in the Exodus story, Egypt is a waypoint on Israelites' journey between Eden and the promised land, their pilgrimage from noble beginnings to their glorious destination. And in that story, Egypt plays a purpose for a time, but it's never meant to be their home. And when Egypt comes under the rule of a power that is opposed to God's life-giving purposes, Egypt becomes a death trap. It becomes a place where the longer they hang around, the more they forget who they are, the more they forget where they're going, the more they grow distant in their relationship with God, the more they begin to understand their own lives through the story of Egypt, rather than through the story God is telling of their lives. Doesn't that sound familiar? Isn't that how it goes for us? Egypt becomes the place where we forget who we are. Chuck DeGroat has a book called Leaving Egypt And in it, he reflects on the power of Egypt in our lives. And he calls to mind a a great scene from the movie, The Shawshank Redemption, where the character Red, that's the Morgan Freeman character, is a longtime prisoner. And he's explaining to the relatively new inmate, Andy, that's the Tim Robbins character, the psychology of prison. And Red says this, these walls are funny. First you hate them, then you get used to them. Enough time passes, you get, so you depend on them. That's institutionalized. They send you here for life, and that's exactly what they take. The part that counts, anyway. And one of the great themes of the movie is the difference between Andy, who never loses his sense of belonging to the outside world, and all the other prisoners who become institutionalized. The stories of exile and enslavement that we live by are stories that allow us to become institutionalized in the Egypt that enslave us. What is your Egypt? Name it, know it. But the story of the Exodus is one that says that Egypt is not your home. Exile and enslavement are not your story. And to live by the script of the Exodus story is to live in a way that absolutely refuses to become institutionalized in a broken world and broken ways of living, in our selfishness, our addictions, our isolation, our shame, even our hurt. As Jesus took up the script of this Exodus story in his own life, Matthew tells us, he too went down to Egypt for a while. Jesus, as true Israel, true humanity, in solidarity with us, he descended down to the pit of Egypt so that he could pioneer a new exodus that would begin with these words of liberation, out of Egypt I have called my son. And in him, out of Egypt, God calls you. And in him, out of Egypt, God calls me. Jesus's wilderness journey would be one that would take him further and further into the darkness, even deeper into the pit, ultimately to the cursed death of the cross and the stone cold trap of the tomb. But his reemergence in resurrection would be spectacular. And the Exodus story that he would retell would be even greater than the one he received and rehearsed in his earthly life because Jesus's Exodus story is one of God's rescue, not just for Israel, but for all the people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation, from every evil out there, from every evil in here that threatens to undo us. And his story of recreation is one that's not just around reorganizing your life according to law, but it's one that all things are being made new in him. Our destination, according to the Exodus story retold in Jesus, is not Egypt. It is new creation. What would it look like this week to practice stepping into the script of the Exodus story? Out of Egypt, I call my child, says the Lord. May we go with Jesus out of our Egypt? and take those steps of faithful courage on the path of the way that leads to the land of the living. God is for you, God is with you, God is big enough to do it, and in him is the fullness of life. May he give us grace to trust him and go on the journey. Would you pray with me? Our God, we ask for your grace. We thank you for the love and the power of Jesus that breaks into the world with liberation and love. And we pray that you would give us wisdom to know our Egypt, courage to name them and the hope and the faith and the strength that we need to take the next steps toward life, whatever that may look like. Would you raise up friends for us along the way? Would you stir us up to courage and faith? And would you rescue us and remake us in the likeness of your son, so that we may know more fully the life and joy that you give and that we may become a wellspring of it for our friends and our neighbors here in this city. Do this we ask in Jesus' name, amen.